0: Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown. I'm not coming to you live today. We're pre-recording the show, but I am coming to you from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us today. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the live video feed, it's live video, it's not, of course, we're pre-recording. But if you want to watch that live video feed, you can go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. That's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over there and look on the right side of the page, and we're streaming live there. That's also going on on my Twitter account at fpptim. We're streaming to Periscope and Twitch at Setting Fires. Our Facebook page is Bradley Dean Sol. Our YouTube channel is BDeanSonsOfLiberty, Dean Sons of Liberty. We're right there on the front page as well, and also on DLive.TV at the Sons of Liberty. And if you're branching out in your social media, be sure to check out SpreelyGab, Gab, Minds, and USA.life, and look for Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. Now today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what's gone on recently in Michigan and uh, the. What's been deemed unconstitutional, unlawful orders uh, given by Governor Whitmer up there. And here to talk about that with me um, today is Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry. She focuses on educating the public on the law and the Constitution, empowering individuals to actively participate in the government process, educating government officials on legal and constitutional issues, fighting for freedom and defending the Constitution, and giving the people a voice in it all. Uh, She is uh, the owner and senior attorney of Catherine Henry PC and the founder of RFI, which is Restore Freedom Initiative. It's a proposal to amend their state constitution to rein back in government power, prevent future abuses of power by the governor, legislature and courts in emergency or not, and restore Michigan to a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And she's also, and I would say probably first and foremost, a Christian, a wife, a mom, homeschooler, and obviously a business owner. Catherine Henry, welcome to the Sons of Liberty. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. And I know you were on previously with Bradley and uh, you guys got a chance to sit and, and talk about what was going on in Michigan. And one of the things that uh, I want you to do is kind of tell people how you got involved in this. Obviously, you're dealing with the constitutional law and thing. How you got involved with this, I guess, this year, dealing with Governor Whitner and what went on there?
1: Um. Yeah, so I um, had uh, somewhat recently switched my legal practice from doing a wide variety of different things to more of a focus on constitutional related issues with a, a nonprofit. I've actually worked with a few nonprofits in the last several years but um, just kind of starting to figure out which kinds of cases would be the best ones for me to focus on and um, you know put my energy towards so, when all this COVID-19 stuff started happening, uh, I knew right from the beginning, the first day our governor closed down schools for three weeks, I knew that was just the start. That was just the tip of the iceberg, and a lot of people viewed it as, you know, basically uh, snow days, you know, basically a, a, a longer spring vacation, but I knew that it was the start of something quite awful, and uh, we're continuing to deal with that awfulness. Um Well, even today, uh, what is it, seven months later? Uh, So that's how I became involved, was really not wanting to sit back and see how, you know, things would happen to us here in Michigan, but how to stand up right from the beginning. The first week of April, I was already contacting legislators and going on radio shows all across our state and trying to inform people on how they can get involved and they can contact our government officials to stop all the nonsense um, so it's, it's been, uh, a long road ever since, I guess.
0: Well, let me ask you this. You, you say I perceived it as something you were obviously perceiving it as something different than other people were. If they're saying, well, this is just more snow days or an extended spring ba- uh, vacation or something like that. What is it that tips you off to that?
1: Well, so most people don't read our U S or Michigan constitution. Um, so in our Michigan constitution, we have an entire article, article number eight, uh, that is devoted to education. And our state is, uh, it's actually, you guys might be jealous to hear some of these, uh, these three sentences here I'm going to read for you. Um, article eight, section one of our state constitution says, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind Schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Um, And that section two, it says that the legislature shall maintain and support a system of free public elementary and secondary schools as defined by law. Every school district shall provide for the education of its pupils without discrimination as to religion, creed, race, color, or national origin. And so those are some really fundamental concepts Our school, our state um, government, our our local school boards are supposed to provide education for our children, and it's it's got a foundation in our state constitution, and primarily because religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary for good government and for the happiness of mankind. That is a wonderful, um, quite frankly, miraculous statement to find in a state constitution these days, and... Um, and yet our governor, with the stroke of a pen, unilaterally just shut down state government like it's no big deal, shut down our schools like it's no big deal. And so as we saw, you know, also, we, you know, we continued to see more and more things being shut down. She eventually literally shut down our entire state, put us on house arrest here in Michigan, uh, put every single thing that we do um, or don't do under penalty of supposed misdemeanor charges and uh, civil infractions and business licensing violations, having business licenses pulled away without even having a hearing first. We've got a lot of pretty ugly, scary laws on the books. And um, I knew right from the beginning when she's going to violate this part of the Constitution that that was just the beginning. No one pays attention to our state constitution to know those things are in there. So, um I I knew we had to do something. And educating the public is one of the most important things that we could do to start this fight off right.
0: Okay. All right. Now, I got to tell you, um, I'm I'm a good old Southern boy. So I come from the opposite end of the spectrum from you guys uh, down in South Carolina. And I know how South Carolina got public education imposed upon it. And, um, you know, I'm one that, uh, that believes what the Bible says, in Deuteronomy 6, you know, that's, that's a parent's responsibility. Um, it's not everybody else's responsibility to make sure that you're educating your own kids. And specifically in the law of God is to be in your heart, his commands, and then you're to, to teach those diligently to your kids. But you guys obviously have this in your state constitution. They have it and they, they forced it on the south uh, after the war of northern aggression. And so you're seeing that as a part of shutting down what is in your constitution, though. And in that, this leads you to do what when you see this. What's what's the steps that you took to sort to address that? What, what are the things that you started doing to address it?
1: It's interesting because you actually ask a question that okay. um, kind of brings up a, a different side of that topic, which is um, the the right and the responsibility of parents to educate and do the upbringing of their own children and. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, I am a homeschooling mom. Uh, I I have four children. I've homeschooled two of them. My oldest um, that I've homeschooled is a senior in high school, and my youngest is a first grader. So uh, I've definitely run the gamut of of educating uh, my children. Um, and so, uh, and I don't think that my my youngest child will ever go back into the public school setting. She was very briefly uh, while I was uh, working in the public school setting, trying to help teach children responsibility and uh, whatnot. So anyway, um, the interesting thing here though, is that it's about an offering. Uh, it's about making sure that it, um, it's something, it's, it's twofold. We have religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind. So uh, we need to recognize that here in the state of Michigan, we have uh, as much as our governor and others want to try to shut it all down, we have a strong basis in um, in God and in our very Constitution. It's not um, this whole you know not uh, notion of separation of church and state is something that's not written into the Constitution sure, sure. in fact our state constitution is written quite the opposite and so that's an important element of that, um, especially since our governor was you know, trying to shut down churches and religious functions and fellowship in general, and, and I could go on. Um, but the school districts and the state legislature are supposed to be making sure that that educational opportunity is available for students. Now, if parents, uh, you know, right from the very first day, I, I just went back into homeschooling. My my youngest child, um, I wasn't going to wait around to see what the state was going to do or what the local school districts were going to do. Um, I was already planning on heading back into the homeschooling world uh, full time uh, in that sense anyway. But uh, I didn't waste one day. That very first day, I was like, "All right, this is what we're doing. (laughs) These are the homeschool books we're going to get back into." And so. Um, I'm not all for imposing a requirement upon families to do certain things or have their education done in a certain way, but rather to have that opportunity for children to be educated because a lot of parents, unfortunately, don't take that responsibility for educating their children and they don't, um, exercise the right to do so. And, uh, you know, I think at this point we need to have a balance where we're not leaving a bunch of children, um, in the lurch, so to speak, while we're trying to educate the adult population on what their rights and responsibilities truly are with regard to society, with regard to raising their own families and and those kinds of things. So, um, but having that offering, having that, um, basic, um, concept available and, and the reasons why and how we can't, um, you know, in having that public education system, we can't have a, um, a discrimination uh, based on any kind of religious issues, which we're seeing widespread here. So kind of to fast forward from what your question was, then um, moving it to what we're seeing today, uh, we've had our, uh, our, we have two main emergency management laws here uh, in Michigan. One of them was completely de- declared unconstitutional by our state Supreme Court earlier this month. I had the privilege of being able to argue uh, that case in front of the Michigan Supreme Court. The other of those two laws, uh, the Michigan Supreme Court found that uh, unanimously that our governor was actually violating our state, um, violating those laws by what she was doing, at least after April 30th. That was a question that was posed from the federal court back to our state Supreme Court. And so um, uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I wrote this, this constitutional amendment for our state constitution, not because we have a bad constitution, but because we have a lot of bad actors in government who try to find all the gray areas. And so um, I knew all along, and I've been trying to warn people, you know, since the beginning of March being on the radio and doing Facebook posts and things like that, that uh, you know, the 1945 law is is commonly referred to here in Michigan and the 1976 law. Yeah, they're bad, but they're not it. And as soon as we handle that, as soon as we get rid of those, we're going to see more uh, laws, you know, from other parts of our, Statutes being used against us, and um, so the um, you know we have um, for for us right now. Like I said, our court kind of got rid of uh, at least her using those two emergency management um, acts, emergency power of governor act. But then she tried to tell the people of Michigan that she had an additional 21 days to have her orders in place that were unconstitutional and illegal. Uh, And so then she secretly was trying to get permission from the Supreme Court to have her order stay in place for another 28 days. Uh, That didn't work. They shot her down again, uh, appropriately. And uh, so then what did they do? She immediately put into place through her um, subordinate, the director of the Department of Health and Human Services here, some emergency orders under the um, public health code to do literally in her own words, to do the exact same thing that she was doing to us under the other orders. Now she's doing under the, these other uh, laws. And so um, my constitutional amendment addresses all those so that none of these government actors can misuse uh, our, you know, government system against us in these ways that these laws would be um, essentially deemed unconstitutional um, for a variety of reasons. But um what we're seeing now is that you have the the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, you have our Michigan um, Office of Safety and I don't know OSHA anyway, mm-hmm. our state version of OSHA. Um, and they're each trying to do their own way to integrate and and put into place what she couldn't do. Um, and so again, they're still part of the executive branch. There's still going to be some issues with. Uh, separation of powers and non-delegation and things like that. But when it comes to schools in particular, one of the biggest uh, things that I get these days in terms of phone calls or emails or text messages is how can we handle this in the school system? Because our schools are requiring our children to wear masks just to be in the classroom every single day. And they're not allowed to go to recess. They're not allowed to leave their classroom to have lunch in the lunchroom. They're not allowed to go to their specials like art or music or PE or or whatever the situation is. So um, those are things that, again, bringing back to the Constitution, we have an obligation to provide that opportunity for our students here in Michigan. And our local school districts and our state legislature is failing horribly in that regard. And a lot of us, so tying in that religious piece that's very clearly associated here in our state constitution, uh, a lot of us as Christians, we recognize that, we should not walk around um, in masks for a variety of reasons. Number one, we shouldn't live out of fear. We should live uh, by faith because that is how God created us. And uh, we certainly are supposed to not live masked and um, hidden from each other, but rather in fellowship and connection with one another um, and in a brotherly love where we can grow uh, together and um, in our understanding and our love for Christ. And so Uh, It directly violates the Christian faith uh, for those who believe any of those pieces to it. And so um, to impose those kinds of restrictions where children, little children are told that they have to be masked. Um, It just defies all common sense and all kinds of other laws, let alone this very provision or piece to our state constitution. So, you know, all along, starting in March, it started with the schools and and coming full circle. We're back to, well, we're still talking about schools and our children are being denied left and right. Whether it's a child with a disability who medically cannot wear a mask or whether it's a child who uh, the child or the child's parent wants to just be able to freely um, have their religious practices, which include breathing fresh air and living in faith, not fear and being able to have fellowship and connection with other human beings. So That's kind of where we're at in Michigan
0: here. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing all of that. You know, Psalm 91 comes to mind too. I I said this on the the air as well. You know, um, the scripture says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he talks about the Lord being uh, his refuge and his fortress protecting uh, from the perilous pestilence, uh, the terror by night and all this kind of stuff. And so that is of the Christian faith. There's no question about that. Now, you've talked about education. Did you guys have something? See, everybody says, well, this is all Democrat governors. No, it's not. This happens in Republican-controlled states, too. Uh, our our governor here in South Carolina is Republican, and he started out with this Nazi-esque type of talk of um, um, the essential, non-essential businesses. And one of the things I pointed out to that is every business is essential to somebody because it's providing for their families. And on top of that, it also has a religious nature, too. And I want to see if you guys had this. It also has a religious nature, too, because the fourth commandment is very clear. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall what? Labor. You're going to do work. Uh, And then the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. So it's part of who we are as, as Christians that we work. And in fact, the Bible says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So all of the people who are sitting around complaining about sitting around, you you should be going out to work. And so did you guys have some of that as well in Michigan? I'm sure she picked up on some of that terminology as well.
1: Oh, to shut us down and have the non-essential yes. business essential businesses? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure our governor uh, was perfecting that whole concept and the rest of the governors in the United States were just following her lead. Um, our governor did that to a T. So you could, um, you could buy pot in Michigan, but you couldn't buy garden seeds or gardening supplies. Um, Last year, uh, just, well, now it's a whole year ago, but in October of 2019, our governor uh, and our state government was making this whole big to-do about EEE and how deadly it was and how you had to keep your grass cut and how you had to You know, when you're outside, you have to be able to, you know, there's all these kinds of things that we were supposed to put in place. And one of the biggest things was to basically keep, you know, grass cut and and plants trimmed back and things like that. So mosquitoes that might have the EEE virus were kept at bay. But yet um, in March and April and I believe into May, we weren't um, allowed to uh, go get lawn mowing supplies or yard maintenance supplies from stores. We were not allowed to hire yard maintenance companies to come and mow our lawns. We, You know, I know of someone who owns a, a lawn company mowing lawns and all that, and he would actually have the police called on him for being out on his mower mowing people's yards. Uh, so what's interesting about that, though, is that, you know, you have the um, uh, equal protection clause. You know, our government is not allowed to treat us uh, it, disparately when we have um, essentially the same uh, kinds of, of things at play. So, you know, when we have businesses, um, you know, like I said, you had, um, you know, those disparities, but what about we had comic book stores, our attorney general said at one point, well, yeah, you can't have a comic book store open, even though they sell protein bars and all other kinds of snacks on a regular basis, you can't have them open because that's just incidental to their business. However, a liquor store was always allowed to remain open because they might sell a snack or two. Uh, now, they do, but they might. And so you can't shut down the liquor store because that might actually be the only place where somebody um, can go you know, t- quickly to get to uh, sustenance. It was the most ridiculous thing. You could. So you could always get alcohol here, but you weren't allowed to go to AA meetings. And um, you know you could go and get your pot from your local pot store, but you couldn't go to uh, NA meetings or anything that would help with any kind of drug addiction. Um, you that could is go just and,
0: asinine. That is just asinine. I don't, I don't get that.
1: Well, you could all here in Michigan. Uh, you were always allowed to go and get an abortion to kill a child, but you were not allowed to get a hip replacement or have any variety of uh, essential medical procedures you know, the, the amount of ridiculousness is just, I mean, at one point I wrote this uh, big publication and shared it uh, for people to understand all the different things that we were seeing. Um, and so obviously we know even, you know, I COVID's a real thing. Sure. People get sick and people die, but guess what? People get sick from the flu and they die Absolutely. in vastly higher numbers yep. than COVID-19. And what's super important though, is even if this were the bubonic plague, Our constitutional provisions, whether it's here in the state of Michigan with our state constitution or um, with the uh, United States Constitution, all of those provisions remain in place, whether there's something scary or bad happening, whether it's a time of emergency or not, whether we have people threatening us or not, whether there's, you know, domestic terrorism happening or not, because we're always going to have issues that we cannot control. We're always going to have things that are... um, You know, it's scary to us or threatening us in some way, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have our liberty. If people are afraid of the virus, they can stay home. If people need to switch to an environment where they have more, you know, opportunities to telecommute or, you know, to teach their children from their home or to do some sort of online learning then they need to be able to exercise those opportunities um, by finding those, you know, appropriate positions at their employers that do that or at, you know, school programs that do that or just homeschooling in general. Um, But to force all those measures upon people and like you said, um, to stop people from being able to work, that's definitely uh, a religious issue, but we even have it as a pure constitutional issue where, you know... It, you know, there's elements of the the U.S. Constitution, but I have, of course, the Michigan Constitution more on the top of my head at the moment. And we have parts in our state constitution that clearly say you can't get in the way. Uh, the government cannot step in and get in the way of uh, impeding somebody uh, from following through on their contracts. So if you have a business and you have. Um, you know, a, a lawn company that always comes to mow your grass and take care of the yard maintenance. Um, but having, you know, there's a, an, an, executive order that says they can't come and do that work. Well, that's impeding the contract. If you have somebody, you know, if you have employees and you need to be able to have them put to work and pay them and, you know, um, be able to provide, um, products or services for customers. Those are all contracts that the government has no right to step in and just say, nope, you're not going to be able to do any of that. No business for you. Uh, So, you know, it's amazing the the ways that are in all this COVID-19 nonsense that we've been seeing, we have seen uh, numerous provisions of our state and federal constitutions just trampled all over like they don't even exist. And the arrogance Of these uh, governors or, you know, attorney general, state attorney general or, you know, um, legislators, it's just dumbfounding the way that they think the government's supposed to step in and just take over and tell us what to do. That's not the way our government was designed. And over my dead body, will I let things like that continue to happen in this country?
0: Yeah. And let me ask you something about that, because, uh, you know, a lot of we started out with President Trump declaring a national state of emergency. I get that Congress has written law. I call it pretended law because it's like you say, where is this authority? Where did we give the authority for the president to just whenever he wants declare a national state of emergency and start usurping the Constitution to do some of the things that he's done uh, and, and state governors to do things they've done? Uh, this this I just I don't see any of that. Uh, we've given them a job to do, and I know as governors, their primary job is much like the president. They are the chief law enforcement officer, if you will. They're to make sure the laws are upheld, the the real ones, not the not the fake stuff that they come out with. They're they're supposed to do that. So what does Michigan have? Because I know each state has some kind of you know declaration of emergency, which I think is just. I think it's, I think it's the, the Trojan horse for tyranny to come in in any way, fashion, or form, unless there's some kind of invasion happening, and then we have things in place already for calling up militia, for bringing in military and things. that We already have that kind of provision. So all of this other stuff is like what you said. It becomes an infringement upon liberty. And I'm going to ask you about another thing concerning your polling places here in just a moment. But can you tell me in Michigan what you guys have in place there that, that this governor has uh, jumped on? Uh, to try to push a, a state of emergency?
1: Well, so our governor actually declared a state of emergency three days before President Trump declared one for the United States. So she declared one on March 10th, and Trump came on March 13th. And and so um, our governor could have rescinded her state of emergency and just gone under the presidential state of emergency uh, in terms of being able to utilize any kind of additional resources that she felt were needed to be able to combat you know, what was going to be seen as this huge influx of COVID-19 patients and the overrunning of of hospital resources and things like that. So, um, but that's part of our emergency management act. So at the beginning, I was kind of referencing that we have this 1976 law and the 1945 law. Those are the two uh, that she was using to uh, declare the state of emergency here in Michigan. And so one of those was just recently declared entirely unconstitutional, which it is, And so no governor can ever use that again. Um, And quite frankly, uh, it was all a game because it was supposed to be read in tandem with the other uh, Emergency Management Act of 1976. And every governor in Michigan, um, since that law was enacted, knew that. In fact, uh, here in Michigan, no governor since 1970 had ever even used that 1945 Act in order to declare a state of emergency. So it's been kind of interesting in that regard. But um, so we have... uh, you know, the one statute that's still technically on, on the books, the 1976 law that says um, that she can't, you know, she could declare a state of emergency and have that in place for up to 28 days. She can't go past the 28 days unless the legislature votes to extend it, which in uh, on March 7th, unfortunately, our state legislature threw aside the constitution and they voted to extend the state of emergency to April 30th, but then they did not make any extensions after that. And our governor continued to rely on that statute as though it was there to help her. Um, But on the flip side of that, and, and that, that statute remains unconstitutional, but the court did not uh, address that particular question. In fact, they specifically said because they had determined that she violated the state statute, there was no need for them to determine whether the statute itself violated the state constitution. So Therefore, one of those statutes uh, remains, although it's unconstitutional, and we all have an obligation um, as people who have taken an oath to uphold the U.S. and Michigan constitutions. But um, on the flip side of that, our state constitution, Article 4, Section 39, actually requires that during a state of emergency, our state and local government operations continue to function as normal, uh, that they have a plan in place to be able to get that Um, you know, rolling and so that we don't see government shutdowns when we have something terrible happening. And yet our governor has been continuing to shut down um, certain functions of our state and local governments. And, you know, as a side note, quite frankly, if we have any elements of our state or local government that are non-essential, then we shouldn't have them to begin with and they should never be back up and running. But if they are essential, then they need to continue running. Um, But a couple of things really, really important that kind of brought Uh, were brought out from that is, number one, our United States Constitution, Article 6, requires that people, even state government, that have, you know, are are serving in the legislative, executive, or judicial branches, they must take an oath of office to uphold the U.S. Constitution. Well, likewise, our state constitution, and I'm hoping and assuming that every other state has a similar provision, our state constitution, Article 11, Section 1, requires our um, state local, um, uh, our government officials, to take an oath to uphold the U.S. and Michigan Constitution. So just, of course, adding the state constitution to that. And then we have a state statute, uh, Michigan Codified Laws, MCL, 15.151, that requires people that are even just serving in governmental offices, it, it, just typical employees, not appointed or elected officials, Um, but just employees of government operations to take the same oath of office in order to serve in that role. And so that's super important because that means every single person from the top down all the way to the the smallest thing that people deem as not necessarily, you know, having any say in any kind of government operation, but um, that they um, will be, they're accountable. They took an oath to uphold the U.S. and Michigan constitutions. And so no matter what function they're serving in, they have a duty to make sure those um, protections for our individual liberties are upheld. But on the other side to that, or another point that came out of that is, um, so basically all of these orders are stemming from three basic concepts. We have, um, we've seen and, and heard of the terms public health, public safety, and public welfare. And so, you know, well, the president or the governor or these legislatures or whomever, they're all doing this because the government's supposed to protect the the public health, the public safety and the public welfare. But we need to, again, look at the Constitution. So how many times is the word health, not even just public health, but health used in the United States Constitution? Zero. It's not in there at all. Right. So. There's no constitutional basis for authority for a government to act on behalf of our health. Now, I could tell you in our state
0: constitution, we have... Uh, Can I four- ask you something about that before you go into that? <clears throat> the, the The federal government doesn't have anything to do with education either. And uh, it's not just it's not just health, it's education. I mean, it's a number of things that they've created these alphabet agencies for that we never said anything about that in the federal government, uh, in the federal constitution for them to have authority over So they've just slowly been letting it in and the people have just been allowing it to go on. But but you're seeing the problem there and you're going against it. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but I'm just saying at the federal level, we're seeing that go on. And then that's trickling down into the states where they just say, oh, well, the federal government's doing it. We can do it, too. And as long as the people sit back. And they they implement the stuff and then the people get used to it. And I think this was the thing I was kind of getting at education. They let it go on until it becomes a problem like what you're talking about uh, earlier uh, in the broadcast here.
1: Yeah. And and that, that you're right, that we've allowed far too many things to happen to us. And the more we're complacent and just let it all happen, the more they do more and more. So you give an inch, they take a mile. And And that's been happening for decades or even longer than that, you know, um, for more than a century, you know, we've been seeing government grow at an exponential rate. Um, And so a lot of them, like I said, are truly based out of whether it's education or whether it's, um, you know, you know, um, branches, you know, like the CIA or the FBI or any of these other, you know, functions, right? We're seeing um, it's typically out of a need for public health public safety, and public welfare. And so the US Constitution says nothing about health, and um, our state constitution mentions the word health four times. Uh, three of them are only in the context of public, public health. Uh, for us, we have uh, our state government can make uh, regulations on the use of natural resources to make sure that we continue to have them for future generations, according to the, the wording of our state constitution. Uh, Our state governments can own property, like they can own parks and other things uh, to be able to benefit or even um, a state-run hospital if it's needed to um, be able to provide uh, health services for the people. Um, And then uh, Article 4, Section 51 of our state constitution um, says that our state government or our state legislature um, shall pass suitable uh, laws for the protection and promotion of the public health, so um, it's you know it's interesting because I would think underlying all of that, it's nothing is suitable uh, if it's not constitutional in the term in terms of what a law is. So that's just an example of our state constitution, but none of those allow for the requirement to wear masks or to be socially distant or any of those other things. Uh, if you jump over and take a look at the welfare concept, the general welfare of the public. That's the one where you see, um, you know, like the the Department of Education and and a lot of those things, like you mentioned, uh, different pieces of the alphabet soup. Uh, Public welfare, even the word welfare is only mentioned twice in our entire United States Constitution. The first time is in the preamble to the United States Constitution where it it mentions promoting the general welfare. Promoting is not a requirement. It's not putting mandates upon people. It's um, getting out of the way. First of all, and, and allowing the um, general welfare of the people to naturally uh, improve and increase.
0: Um, well, is it, of the let me ask you something about that, because the way I understood the general welfare clause was it precedes all of the things that we allow Congress to write law on, which is only like 18 to 21 things, depending on how you pick that out. So the, the general welfare is defined by here's what you can do. And if we didn't write it here, Ninth and Tenth Amendment say you don't have any authority in that area. Is that right? Well, so
1: I would say that in the preamble, that's um, giving the general basis, the overarching um, view of of what government is supposed to do. And um, so I would say that in that part of the preamble, there's nothing that even gives them authority to do anything, um, to require anything upon the people in terms of general welfare. So in terms of mandating, Uh, education or in terms of mandating uh, the use of masks in the current uh, realm or in terms of mandating, you know, uh, people to be socially distant or to do whatever number of things that are out there. Um, There's no mandate that can be made under that provision because that provision in the preamble is just talking about the promotion of uh, the general welfare. Uh, the only other time that the whole, that the term is even used in the United States Constitution is, um, I want to say it's Article 1, Section 8, it might be Article 1, Section 9. Um, and it um, simply says that um, the, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Article 1, Section 8, and I'm just going to flip to it here. Um, it talks about the, um, helps if I'm in the right uh, right part here. Um, Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. So that whole uh, provision there, uh, the subpart one of uh, section eight of our constitution um, in the uh, article one, it's talking about financial aspects. It's talking about the concept of financially providing for, such as a mom or dad would go to work and provide for their family so they could provide for clothing and for food and shelter and, you know, to be able to go and play sports if you're, you know, a kid that likes to do that or whatever, right? Uh, band instruments. It's to be able to provide for the family. And... Um, here, that's all that that word is talking about is to be able to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. So to be able to have an income coming in, to be able to do taxes and things like that, so that there's an, an, a, a, an income stream, a, a revenue source to be able to support having, um, you know, a military and to be able to be able to uh, provide weapons for the military or training uh, you know different facilities that might be needed for the Army or Navy or whatever um, and so when you're talking about providing for the common defense and general welfare of the United States it's not saying in here at all uh, well you can you can mandate masks or you can mandate uh, education or you can even create a whole federal education, Uh, Board of Education or or, um, Department of Education, where there's requirements upon the people to do any number of things. Uh, That's not what's allowed here. It's not even what's covered here. We're talking about financially providing for infrastructure or uh, the ability to have defense in general as a country. That is what is meant by providing for the general welfare and common defense of our country. Uh, And those are the only two times that the word welfare is even mentioned in our U.S. Constitution, our state constitution has a similar thing. We got a little bit more specific, but um, our state constitution talks about, uh, the in terms of the general welfare, uh, p- putting regulations in place regarding atomic energy uh, to protect the general welfare of the public, um, to be able to protect those natural resources, such as we saw with the term health, and um, to... Um, provide for uh, that article uh, four, section 51 of our state constitution uh, that allows for laws to be made that are suitable for the promotion and protection of health. Well, at the beginning of that, it says that uh, general the general welfare and public health of the people of the state of Michigan is of the utmost importance. Okay, great. It's of the utmost importance. And then the next sentence says, so the legislature shall make laws suitable laws for the protection and promotion of the public health. Meaning, yeah, the general welfare is super important, but we're not allowing you to make laws just for the promotion of the general welfare. If anything, it's only just for the public health. So uh, anyway, even in a state level of government, it's super important that people look at their state constitutions because oftentimes what has been happening for, for decades, if not centuries, by state law or even just common practice isn't even allowed by their state constitutions. But I want to make a point to also mention that the third prong to this, right? So public safety. The term safety is only mentioned one time in our entire United States Constitution. And uh, I want to say that's Article 1, Section 9. It mentions uh, the use of uh, suspending the writ. Yeah, so the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended Unless, when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. It's not providing an, a catch-all opportunity for the government to step in and, and require a bunch of things of us. It's very specific. Case, it's, very specific.
0: it's very specific. It's very specific. Yeah.
1: So we're only allowed to set aside the writ of ha- the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus in very specific instances. Uh, and only when the public safety requires it, we're not allowed to do any other things to justify uh, doing this in the name of public safety. That's that's a very limited provision. And again, it's super important that people pay attention to their state constitutions because uh, here in the state of Michigan, the word safety, uh, we have the exact same provision for the writ of habeas corpus um, using the term safety. We we actually have the word used six times. Um, three of them are totally non related to the topic at hand in terms of like a a general public safety type of thing. So the three that remain are the habeas corpus provision. We have uh, the ability to regulate natural resources for the protection of the public safety. Uh, That's a little bit of a stretch if you ask me. But um, And then the government is allowed to own property for the protection of public safety. So for example, to be able to have um you know some sort of um national guard base or a police station or sheriff's office or things like that that would be needed for the protection of public safety sure. they're allowed to own those buildings um, and that's it that's the only times that uh, safety is even mentioned in our state constitution here and again i can only imagine that in all the state constitutions i've i've looked at all of them at some point in time or another i'm not an expert in all the other state constitutions by any stretch of the imagination but it's very important that the American people really read the United States Constitution, really read their state constitutions, and if there's a Declaration of Rights, become the master of that Declaration of Rights because it doesn't matter what any case says about it. No judge is allowed to make law. There's no case law. That concept is non-existent. Yep. Uh, not not in our you know form of government. So it's important that people read the terms of the of the state constitutions and their the United States Constitution for themselves, because this is not a government of politicians, attorneys, and big corporations and special interest groups. This is a country of the people, by the people, and for the people. So the people need to stay educated on what's going on. Yep. And they need to make sure their children are educated on what's going on and what their rights are.
0: I agree. I agree. And, and I think that's part of the failure is not the necessarily the politicians or the representatives. It's the people. The people don't know. And uh, as God said, he was referring to his law. He says the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that's because they don't know the law. So they lead their children into that too, into that ignorance, which then brings them into bondage, not freedom. We got about 10 minutes or about nine minutes now. And I want to ask you two things. Um, so let's kind of split that in half. What happened to get this Supreme Court ruling? What was done to bring their ruling to bear upon Governor Whitmer there?
1: So procedurally, what happened is our governor has been sued <laughs> countless times by various different individuals and organizations for all the violations of state uh, state and federal law and state and federal constitutional provisions. The case that brought it before the Supreme Court um, most poignantly or, or whatnot was actually a case where the um, we had three doctor's offices and one patient who the patient had been denied care, a hip replacement, I believe. And the doctor's offices were, of course, being told they could not provide care for their patients uh, because the governor deemed it non-essential. And so they filed in federal district court, the trial level court of, of federal court. And that federal trial court judge said, well, uh, quite frankly, if I can resolve this issue in terms of state law or the state constitution, then I don't have to even touch the issues of federal law or the federal constitution. And so I think I'm going to do that instead. And I think that's a shame. I think that's awful. I get why they do it. But in reality, if we have a government agency or official, especially one who's impacting 10 million people with a stroke of of a pen, um, she needs to be held accountable by all means necessary and to make an example of her so that all these other governors are not continuing to do the same thing. But at any rate, that's not what they did. Um, this federal court judge sent it to the state Supreme Court and asked two very specific questions. Do the governor's executive orders after April 30th violate either of the two um, state statutes on point that we mentioned earlier, the 1945, the 1976 law? And the second question is, do either one of those statutes violate our state constitution? So the, um, the state Court, the state supreme court. It was done as a certified question or two certified questions. Um, the state supreme court did not have to take that on, but they did choose to do so, and they did it in a fairly timely manner. I mean, definitely not as timely as what should have been, but uh, more timely than what cases typically work through the appellate system here in Michigan. And they uh, they allow here in Michigan and encourage amicus attorneys or or amicus parties to to participate. So people that are not actually parties to that case can file briefs and even try to request oral argument to be had. So you had the initial initial case where the plaintiff had their attorney and the um, director of the Department of Health and Human Services for Michigan and the governor uh, were named defendants and they shared an attorney. And then the Michigan attorney general was named as a a defendant. So her office had their own representation in the case as well. So that was three attorneys. Then you had, um, I don't remember now exactly how many. There were several amicus briefs filed with uh, the Michigan Supreme Court on these issues in front of the the court. And uh, a few have actually asked for oral argument time. I am one that's been fighting uh, fighting this fight in the Michigan Supreme Court and Court of Appeals, filing amicus briefs in a variety of different cases and different stages of cases. And so I had requested to be able to have the opportunity for oral argument. And I was actually the first uh, amicus party allowed to um, have oral argument time awarded in that situation. The Michigan legislature was subsequently awarded uh, the same amount of time to speak right after me. And then the House Democratic Caucus was awarded time as well. And so there were three amicus attorneys arguing in addition to the three att- regular attorneys. And that was ha- uh, that oral argument was held on September 9th. And then the Supreme Court asked for additional clarification on some related issues. And so those briefs were due one week later. Uh, and so we all turned those in um, either on the 15th or on the 16th of September. And then by October 2nd is when that decision came down. When that happened, our legislature already had a case pending in front of the court uh, against the governor and um, asked for declaratory relief, essentially, for a peremptory reversal of what the lower courts had done because the lower courts had said, oh, the governor's totally fine and doing what she's doing. All these statutes are totally constitutional. They're clearly delusional. And so the Supreme Court this last, I think about a week ago now, issued um, a peremptory reversal. So the legislature is essentially winning their lawsuit against the governor, uh, in that sense. And so, um, we're, we're seeing a lot of interesting procedural things happen, but hopefully that answers your question about how it came to be.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, and you covered it in just the right time. I'm going to try to get this last thing in, although I want to, I want to find out, you know, I don't know if you can hold over a couple of minutes that we can, that we can kind of delve into that. Is that Okay. Okay. I'll I'll close out for the radio audience here in a few minutes, but um if you can do this and then I'm going to ask my my final question and that's about uh, what's coming up at the polls. If you can if you can tell me, okay, they've rendered her her um executive orders. They've rendered those unconstitutional. She tried to keep it in place as you said, and they're like, "No, we just told you it's unconstitutional. We can't keep doing it for 21 days while you I mean you just don't do that kind of thing." So she's got that. What is the what is the recourse of the people? You have a governor who has committed a crime. She has violated the law there by imposing these orders. It's cost people their businesses. It's some people has probably cost them their lives. Some people probably have become desperate. Uh, They've lost hope or whatever the case may be. uh, Taken their lives. Other people for different reasons. You mentioned uh, Hilt. issues to where they couldn't have certain procedures and things of this nature. I mean, this is not something that's like, Oh, you know, I took a piece of bubble gum from somebody and I can replay that. I mean, this has big implications. What is, what is the ramification for the governor here? I mean, I don't understand how she's allowed to remain in office and not face any kind of uh, uh, removal or or any charges of this nature, because I can guarantee you if you or I did something even remotely like this and we're not in office we're going to be hauled off and you know booked and book them dano kind of thing and everything else in charge why isn't that happening there exactly
1: and so we actually have a, a recall petition that's been uh, instituted by the people uh, there's a heavy burden of 1.2 million signatures that are needed in order to get that petition through Assuming the signatures are collected, the way our state law is written is that it wouldn't be brought to the people until May of 2021. Um, At that point in time, though, if she was recalled, uh, that she's immediately removed from office and the lieutenant governor takes over. Um, So there is that going. Uh, The the Senate and the House can uh, begin the constitutional proceedings for impeachment, which they should have a long time ago. I certainly don't know why it hasn't taken place yet. Um, so there are provisions that way. Um, she's violated several parts of our state and federal constitution. But an element that everybody watching or listening should should realize is that we have things uh, like 42 USC section um, 1983. And um, that's a civil side of holding a, a, a person responsible for violating your rights. Um, and then we have 18 USC section 241 which is uh, when you have two or more government officials that are conspiring to deny you of your constitutionally or statutorily protected rights. That's a federal crime with a 10-year prison term up to death, punishable by death if someone has died or had some sort of serious injury. And certainly by putting COVID patients in nursing homes or denying people resources that uh, are then leading to increased instances of domestic violence and child abuse and neglect, Um, those are definitely instances where people have died because of her actions. So she should be immediately held responsible, removed from office, but also be held civilly and criminally responsible. And why that hasn't happened yet? Because we don't have enough people in law enforcement or or government office that uh, take their oath of office seriously. Yeah,
0: Catherine, we got about 20 seconds here before we close up the radio, and then we'll finish with just a few minutes on the other side. Tell people where they can find out more about you.
1: Uh, my website is RestoreFreedomKH.com. That's RestoreFreedomK as in Catherine, H as in Henry.com. All kinds of information about our petition there, the work I've been doing with the Constitution and trying to educate people. We're even selling constitutions at cost to people. So uh, please find me there.
0: Okay, this is Catherine Henry, and uh, we'll have a link up to her site where you can catch her after the show in the archives. So be sure to check that out. And 23 hours, we'll be back with you. See ya. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming in from Red State Talk Radio to YouTube and Facebook and DLive and Periscope and all those other places that that we stream out to. want to welcome you back here. And, uh, Catherine, uh, I don't want to hold you over long because I know you're a busy lady, but one of the things I want to do is I want to ask you about something that's that's just come out here recently. And this is from Secretary of State uh, Jocelyn Benson. Let me see if I can bring this up uh, on the screen here.
1: Oh, our Second Amendment issue is yeah. The, that's that's uh, the
0: one. I, that's the polling issue I want to ask about, and I'm just going to show this to the audience, and you'll be able to see it too. This is from uh, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. She issued, issued guidance again, <laughs> prohibiting the open carry of firearms at polling places on Election Day. Now, I, I have a problem with that here in my the state of South Carolina, or any place, because South Carolina's. Um, Constitution, their Bill of Rights is very is is almost is identical in the language with uh, the right to keep and bear arms as the U.S. Constitution, and so she's come out and she said the prohibition extends to a hundred feet of an entrance or exit, but it does allow citizens to leave firearms within vehicles. Well, isn't that nice? They're going to allow you something that you have a God-given right and under the law. And I I don't I want to ask you. Uh, in Michigan, I'm thinking it probably is very similar to ours, very similar to the federal constitution. That right's not to be infringed. It doesn't say, well, unless you're going on election day to vote, or in some cases, what have they put up? If you're going to a political event, you can't carry your firearm. It doesn't say anything like that. Well, what are you making of that as that's coming down? That came out on what, uh, October the 16th, and they're going to try to push that in. Is there is there any pushback on that as well?
1: Uh, I do. I did get confirmation from one of our leading Second Amendment organizations here in the state of Michigan that they will be bringing a lawsuit against her. It may have already been filed um, at this point because the conversation had uh, I had was yesterday morning. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it's definitely something that will be handled. Uh, our state constitution, the preamble is beautiful. It's very simple. It's uh, one sentence long. And it says, we, the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution. And so if you look, our very first article is called the Declaration of Rights. And uh, later down at the bottom of that page, uh, definitely not the bottom of the list of rights that are articulated here, but Um, on the bottom of this very first page, anyway, is uh, section number six, bearing of arms. Every person has the right to keep and bear arms for the defense of himself and the state. We also have provisions about militia and other things in our state constitution. And so, yes, you have the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't say that there's any limits uh, allowed. In fact, it says undiminished. These rights are to be exercised undiminished. And so we shouldn't even have to have concealed carry licenses or anything else like that Um, those are entirely unconstitutional but even even if we want to go with the government's most common conception of well it's a, a constitutional carry state so you can open carry without any kind of permit and now they're saying but you can't do it here and you can't do it there any of those restrictions are unconstitutional uh, specifically if you're going to try to disenfranchise people. What she's saying is that having a firearm is causing intimidation and fear uh, for people that don't carry firearms. And so that is going to stop them from being able to vote. Uh, no, if if I have to go to the polls unarmed. um that's causing me concern and possibly some fear because I've had a lot of people issuing threats against me because I expect our government to uphold the U S and Michigan constitutions. And so you have all those non law abiding citizens who are out there who are going not, they're not going to care one bit about what uh, Benson wants uh, in terms of, you know, firearms being carried or not. So uh, I, as a law-abiding citizen, absolutely should be able to exercise my constitutionally protected, God-given right to bear arms. But something you've, you briefly mentioned uh, earlier that ties into this, um, and it's super important because people don't talk about it. The Ninth Amendment to the United States Constitution is uh, very, uh, very similar, almost word for word, to our uh, Michigan State Constitution, Article 1, Section 23, which is those unenumerated rights. So we, this is a particular right that we do have enumerated, both in state constitution and in federal constitution. But let's look at that unenumerated rights clause. Because, yeah, so the 10th Amendment we've heard about, it reserves all the rights uh, and, and, and power and authority not given to the federal government, government, specifically to the states and to the people. But what about the 9th Amendment that says that we, the people, have rights? God gave us a whole bunch of rights. And we purposely identified and listed some of those rights to be protected by our government. That's the whole reason why we come together and have government in the first place. But the other side to that is we have these unenumerated rights, which cannot be lessened or treated like they are of any lesser importance uh, simply because they're not enumerated. And so what is what is our our, you know our United States Supreme Court done all these decades and all these years is they've had uh, numerous cases where they're attempting to explain or list or uh, in, you know enumerate all of these uh, additional rights saying well the unenumerated rights are these and they start listing them out. Well uh, those might be fine by way of example, but they are never meant to or be allowed to serve as the total list. If we wanted a government agency or branch of government to be able to list and define all of our rights and contain all of those inside of a little box for us, then we wouldn't have had the Ninth Amendment to the United States Constitution, and we wouldn't have Article 1, Section 23 of our state constitution here in Michigan. So those are just very important pieces that people need to realize that, you know, in this particular instance, yes, we have very specific rights that allow for for us to carry weapons and not for them to diminish in any way those rights. But um, all those other things like the right to breathe fresh air and uh, things like that are God-given rights that are supposed to be protected just the same by all these government officials as well.
0: Yes, I I agree. So let me ask you this. Since the lawsuit has been filed by this organization, um, Second Amendment organization, do they put a stay on that until it's heard? Uh, Or do they just allow that to remain in place? Because by the time that gets heard, I mean, it'll be after the election. I mean, what are people to do in that situation? Or or are you guys expecting that to be enforced in any way or or what's going on?
1: Lawsuits filed uh, with regard to elections in Michigan are given special urgent priority in the courts. So I'm confident that as long as they file, you know, have filed already or are filing today or tomorrow or, you know, very soon, that that case will be heard by the courts because there is that special urgent priority put on that by our, our state laws. Um, And regardless, um, this is just some edict put out by our secretary of state. Our secretary of state has no authority whatsoever to infringe upon our rights or to write laws, just the same as MDHHS or the governor can't write laws. So uh, it's going to be a battle of trying to make sure our law enforcement officials are properly educated and our polling uh, location workers are properly educated on what the Constitution allows because no secretary of state can just put the seal on there and say, oh, this is a, this is now a thing. You now have to abide by it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And one of the other things, if I can ask real quickly, and it ties with this because I know your time is very valuable um, with them doing this. And we talk about I, I tell people we talk about rights and rights. A lot of people, you know, they I, they just go on with all kinds of stuff. We have a right to abortion. We have a right to sodomite marriage and all this stuff, and none of that's found. We have a, we have rights, which are really liberties and authorities that we have as individuals to do our duty. That's the whole point of it. It's not that we, we can just say we have a right and not perform our duties. So when that's infringed in, in a situation like what you, what you pointed out here, that you go to the polls— Um, You guys, I don't, has Michigan had any of these rioting Antifa Black Lives Matter people in there as well? Many. Yeah, I thought that you guys had. So you have that, you have the intimidation that comes. We've seen some of these Black Panthers uh, have intimidated people at the polling places. We've seen other people come and try to do that. And, you know, I don't understand the cowardice of a lot of people to say, oh, well, you know, we just don't want to Cause any problems? I have a question. Do you think that that Benson issuing this prohibition, which he has no authority to do, do you think it has something to do with Whitmer playing the victim after this? What's obvious to to me is, um, you know, a WWE match that's that's shown up here with the alleged kidnapping uh, that's going on. Do you think it has something to do with that?
1: Absolutely, it does. Um, and I'm really disgusted that it's not just our governor, quite frankly, our president has had his hand in this and our Republican uh, Senate Majority, excuse me, Senate Majority Leader and Speaker of the House. Uh, so this is all sides of the aisle here yep. uh, where there the whole talk of the issue is there are these thugs, these militia men who have all these guns and have, uh, have had all these meetings and they're conspiring to do all these awful things to stop the governor. Well, you know, I, I can't speak for anybody officially, and I, I only know uh, of two of the men that were arrested, but I could tell you that um, the two that I know, uh, yeah, they have a lot of firearms because we have a right to have those firearms. They're members of a militia here in Michigan that is. Again, in Michigan, we not only have the right to bear arms, we have specific provisions for militia and those militia are supposed to be well regulated. So hence all the training that they go to and the discussions that they have and um, their job as they see it is to help keep the peace, but also to help um, enforce the law of the land when necessary. And when we have a governor who has gone rogue and totally thrown out the United States and Michigan constitutions as well as state law, she should be held accountable. She should be arrested. So arresting her and putting her on trial under lawful procedures is definitely not kidnapping. It's not talking about murder. It's none of those things. But what's more important uh, of any of all those things when it comes to that piece of the discussion is that these men in our country are presumed innocent until the court or next, not, excuse me, the court, the, um, the prosecutor has proven them guilty in a court of law we have rights. We have rights against unre- uh, unreasonable searches and seizures, which, uh, well, <laughs> I won't even go there. But there's there's problems with that in this case here. Yep. There's rights for due process. But we most of all, we're, we're innocent until proven guilty. And every single one of these People from that I mentioned, from the president to the governor to our attorney general, the secretary of state—they're talking about all these instances and these individuals as being the violent offenders who are causing, you know, all these horrible things. And they're already acting as though these individuals have been found guilty of doing something wrong. Whereas you look at the riots that happened in uh, Detroit and in downtown Grand Rapids, where businesses were burned well into the night, cars were set on fire, individuals were threatened. Uh, and injured, and there there were no arrests made out of that because well that's allowed to happen. You're allowed to protest when you don't like what the president is doing. Um, so we're not seeing arrests of, of, out of that, but we're seeing arrests out of people wanting to arrest the governor. Uh, very upside down times we're having right now, definitely, and it's definitely resulting in things that you're seeing, uh, such as you know you're not allowed to carry a, a weapon in in your own defense uh, when you go to vote.
0: Yeah, I, and I not to get off on the president, but that is that is an issue that I see with these riots and things. He he points the finger and says this isn't right, this, but the Constitution gives him authority to call it the militia to suppress insurrections. That's what this is. I'm all for peaceful protest, even if the people I I disagree with them, if they're peaceful about it. But you can't go destroying property, you can't go looting things and stealing from people, and then uh, you know attacking people. You can't do that. And he sees it, yet he does nothing. And everybody thinks that just pointing it out or saying something bad about it is is enough that that he's doing what he's supposed to do no he's supposed to go suppress that and i look i'm I'm in agreement with him giving governors an opportunity, not just jumping in there and do it, but giving governors opportunity to 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 do it. But it's been months it's been going on. And so that's where I wanted to ask the question, uh, what was your perspective on this? I'm glad to see that uh, there are some people acting on that on you guys' behalf as well. Catherine Henry, thank you for your time today. We appreciate you very much. And I'm glad, you know, I hope more people uh, will follow the example set, you know, there in Michigan to deal with their their governors. We had a gentleman on, uh, a number of weeks back, who talked about how to sue your governor uh if they're acting unlawfully in that way, and so that can be done It's a long process, and sadly uh to get justice nowadays, it costs a lot of money it money that the people just don't have so um I, I don't I don't know what people can do. He talked about reaching out to people like thomas moore uh law group or or the Rutherford Institute or some places like that that will take up these civil rights kind of uh cases and that maybe they can they can form a coalition between other people in that state to help you know, fight some of those things. I guess you would suggest something like that as well.
1: Yeah, I don't have a whole ton of attorneys that have reached out to me saying that they're taking these kinds of cases. But the few that I do have, I'm putting on my website, restorefreedomkh.com under resources. So there's at least two there. Um, I don't know about their work quality myself, but I do know that they're willing to take on these cases. So I at least want to provide that option to people. And as I have more attorneys um, that are handling those kinds of cases here in Michigan, I will continue to post that myself. Absolutely.
0: Okay. All right. And we're going to have that up in the archives after the show later today. So you guys be sure to check that out. Uh, Catherine Henry, thank you for your time today. We appreciate all that you've done and spending time with us today, a little over time and uh, we appreciate you and wish you the best there. Um, God give you strength to do what you're doing there. And uh, guys, we'll be back with you in, about 23, I guess, 23 and 45 minutes, 22 and 45 minutes. I can't even count right now. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow. Till then, see ya.